except for we're like a ghost that only they can hear when their headphones are on. <laughs> we should stop whispering or they're going to turn it up and then I'm going to talk really loud and then it's going to be too loud. <laughs> How are Hello. we doing? So uh, this is going to be a weird episode because it's not actually dude check out this song. It's dude, this is the stuff that people go through so that others can check out songs. Uh, yeah, this is the, I guess you could call it the inspiration or the first dude check out this song. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the guys who were doing it before we were, uh, clearly, and much better because uh, I believe it, uh, ships were involved, if I understand correctly. Uh, I'm only I'm only barely uh, acquainted with the situation, but tonight we're going to cover <laughs> UK Pirate Radio. Of the 1960s. Yes. Oh, is there multiple iterations of UK Pirate Radio? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. But well, we're not going to cover it all in this episode, just oh, the 1960s. Okay, well, we're going to come back to the next iteration, right? Can we make it like a saga? It can be a second part or for it. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to do like a... This is part one of question marks, because, you know, it could be the UK Pirate Radio saga. Maybe there's some pirate Ooh, radio right now. I like now. the idea of a saga. Yeah. We haven't had any sagas yet. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very samurai. <laughs> very, very link of us. Okay, so uh, first of all, there's no birthdays, I guess. We'll have a birthday eventually. Hell yeah. Well, I love birthdays, guys. <laughs> yeah, so honestly, doing this research, did not know how old pirate radio is. I mean, is it uh, it's a pretty old thing? Unlicensed radio broadcasters have been around practically since the government started trying to control and regulate the airwaves. And this was particularly true in the UK, where only state-controlled radio from the 1920s through the mid-1960s. Oh, because it was all just BBC, pretty much, It was much, all right? just BBC. Yep. Well, like, real famous concept of pirate radio began with Radio Luxembourg in the 1930s. Yeah. And this station was already broadcasting legally around Europe from the tiny nation of Luxembourg. Shock, yeah. Shocking, right? Gasp. And, and, you know, with no commercial radio allowed in the UK, thanks to, you know, government-controlled radio BBC, entrepreneurs decided to use Radio Luxembourg's transmitter, the most powerful privately-owned transmitter in the world at the time, to broadcast sponsored programs to Britain and Ireland, pirating the country's wavelengths. Oh, so so it wasn't even pirated at that point. It was just another like a targeted uh, airwave. Yeah. So yeah, it basically they were stealing their airwaves because <laughs> there wasn't hardly any really. That's awesome. I mean, there's a million different like frequency differences, but yeah. And the main thing was with this was to sell advertising and just to make a buck out of it because if you can reach an audience that nobody else is listening to because they weren't allowed to listen to anything else. Yeah. You know. You're going to make some money off of it. Yeah, exactly. When you give people who only have one option, any other option, you're going to do all right. Yeah, exactly. 
And so from the WABC in New York to KRLA in Los Angeles, the radio had the Beatles and all of the British invasion bands playing, you know, really like injecting a ton of excitement into this, you know, music coming from another country. Wait, it, wait. so you said the Beatles there. So like they weren't playing the Beatles on BBC at the time? Maybe on occasion. I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. It, it's coming up. I'll, I'll explain it in a little bit. All right. But, you know, at this point, it fueled like crazy DJs, cash call contests, and like battle of the bands type stuff in America. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, like all this new music coming in was just fuel for more money for these radio stations. They could start doing cool stuff. And that's where, you know, you got the the Wolfman radio DJ and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, this is where you really get the the classic DJ attitude, and they were tr- clearly trying to transmit that to uh, Britain. Yeah. Because we all know how <clears throat> over-the-top and hardcore BBC is well and known for. Yeah, they are They are probably <laughs> the most crazy radio you, you've ever listened to. Yeah, you're like, chill out, BBC. Stop whispering <laughs> the, in my ear, I'm falling asleep. Them, them crazy Brits. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes, we are American, and anybody listening from the UK, we are going to make fun of you in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, we're American and superior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, though. Like, the British, they have a, a zero or a hundred policy. They're either, like, quiet, like, welcome to the BBC this is or they're like straight up mohawk punks catching you on fire screaming about <laughs> liberty you know what i mean like <laughs> you know, there's no middle ground there you you one day wear a suit and the next day a, a, an entire punk cut or nothing else well is, isn't it still highly regulated over there though too because i mean they don't have like freedom of speech laws like we do right well, yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as it typically once was, but well, it is clearly it, not because <laughs> the Beatles were, weren't even playing on the radio back then. <laughs> yeah, but they are still like it, in a lot of ways, uh, still relatively authoritarian in some of their uh, security measures, at least internally. But yeah, the British invasion didn't really reach British radio. Couldn't hear it. Like the Beatles weren't really on the radio. BBC, you know, was ever so proper they would have things like the news gardening tips dramas announcements and maybe maybe just that occasional pop record at night the radio dial was basically empty as most of the stations signed off at night oh wow that's that's kind of crazy but before before you go out there talking too much shit about the bbc uh i don't know if you've ever watched or listened to some of these uh bbc radio dramas I'm uh, sure they're good. They're fucking amazing. Like, you can get one for uh, I, Claudius, uh, which is very, very good. If anyone's uh, bored, you can have to check out this BBC radio drama. <laughs> 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 it's about a, a Roman emperor uh, with a limp. Well, and to quote Peter Moore, who owns a legal version of Radio Caroline, which will be a name you need to remember. Okay. Radio Caroline? Radio Caroline. And he'd say... The government decided that the radio was too influential as a means of mass communication to be in private hands. Private radio was prohibited, and only the British Broadcasting Corporation, which was part of the political establishment, sent radio to the British people with the remit to be morally uplifting, informative, and educational. See, this is the shit that landed you guys with V for Vendetta. (laughs) <laughs> that's all i'm saying like like <laughs> shit like this gave you guys like that reputation yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
and I, this is funny enough because we live in America and we, you know, we've suddenly adopted secret police over the last year. So, I, I mean, I guess, what the fuck's been going on with that shit? You know, so if you're, if you're part of the American Gestapo, don't come drag me out of my house in the middle of the night and shoot me in the street or anything like that. But you know what I mean. Good like, luck finding us. Who, know, who knows if Pat Neen is even our real name? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't challenge them, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh shit my my uh computer's gonna be hacked here soon yeah, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it's gonna be like that meme where the fbi texts you <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and so in enters our hero ronan o'rahili and that's the most fucking Irish name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Ronan Irahili? Will you spell that for me? <laughs> so R-O-N-A-N. So Ronan, yeah, Ronan or Ronan. And O, the apostrophe, R-A-H-I-L-L-Y. Ronan O'Rahili. <laughs> I feel like you got to be Irish to speak that name. <laughs> That is actually just a fucking epic name, though. I love it. I really do. It's going on our top 10 name list. Do we have one of those yet? If not, throw it on there. We don't have a top 10 list. We should do an episode of just top 10s, like a little <laughs> award show. Oh, no. We should do the Dude Checkout Awards. Hell, yeah. We should plan that. Yep. Best slashing award goes to Lead Belly. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're not doing it yet, okay? Oh, Come on, sorry. <laughs> slashed with a razor. You've already ruined the surprise oh, for everybody. My God, I didn't I'm even sorry. get to open an envelope, dude. Yeah, I'm, you were just gonna get slashed by a razor. <laughs> you were gonna slash the envelope <laughs> with a razor. <laughs> oh no, I was talking about you, Ian. You joke about that every week, and I only have three scars. Okay, joke. <laughs> <laughs> and so here's our birthday. Oh, Dogan Ronan O'Reilly was born. Wait, did you throw another name on there? That's his first name. Wait, what is his? Oh, Dogan. A o d o g a n. That is what Ken or Ryu yells in Street Fighter or two when he throws a fireball. <laughs> I fight me. I will. I will not. Like seriously, that is. Oh, not you right. <laughs> Oh, dude, I'm sorry, Adiugin, Ryu, O Fagin, O Fagin. I'm not, not going to be able to remember that guy's name. Rogan O'Rahili. O'Rahili. No, actually, like. Isn't that the language for uh, Cthulhu, O'Rahili? <laughs> no, I think it's Rylahor or something like that. Uh, now we're going to have Irish people all pissed off at us. Oh, yeah, that's going to be good. I mean, we've already pissed off the British. We might as well piss off the Irish. I mean, yeah, please don't Practically IRA the us. same people, right? <laughs> no, don't make that joke. Too late. Well, Irish people, my name is Patrick, please. I am I am mostly Irish. He has no red hair though. God damn it. No, I have black hair and it's not my fault. And isn't your last name uh yes, German? Highly, highly, extremely German. <laughs> Wait, shouldn't you have blonde hair and blue eyes? No, then? no. Unfortunately or fortunately not. I don't know. I think I'm all right. I wouldn't want the red or the blonde. I, I'm doing good with just the black hair. At least you have hair. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm over here crying. Whatever. I remember when you had hair. 
He still wore hats all the time. <laughs> and it was still long and greasy as fuck anyway. <laughs> anyway, Ronan was born May 21st, 1940 in Dublin, Ireland. I know that's shocking. <laughs> Gasp. He was the third of five children. Also shocking. Wow, that's a little... That's, that's a, little, a little low, right? That's fucking... Dude, come on. Ian. What? Oh, my God. Can't can't believe you would make fun of the Irish for having a fuck ton of children all the time. That's not even really a fuck ton of children for Irish people, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Continue. That was that was an underhand compliment if I've ever heard it. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm uh, on fire today. Damn, dude. You're going to piss off the entire British Isles and we're going to have another war. <laughs> and the, okay, so before we go any farther, we are actually like, we love you, UK. And I'm just this week, I was notating how many UK listeners we were getting and how it was distinctly more than recently. And then all of a sudden, Ian goes and starts a whole fight. So if you guys <laughs> want to just rebel against Ian from the British Isles, I don't mind it. I don't, yeah, I'm you on guys your can side. Hate me. Pat loves you guys. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be I on your side. I don't see what the big deal is, really. <laughs> 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 he doesn't see what the big deal is. <laughs> what? Sure, why not? All right. <laughs> Will you please continue with something that's on your screen? <laughs> so his parents owned a private port at Grenoor County Louth in Carlingford Low. God, I fucking hate <laughs> what the what? Fu- I know. I don't know. I just get the feeling that there's like a really well groomed horse prancing around this area. <laughs> well, it was it was a uh, boat port, so you know, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, well, he was clear. He clearly grew up as a rich, rich kid. Well, yeah, you just said personal port, personal private or private port. Yeah, private port. That's not a, that's not a private dock on your lake house. That is a private port. Yeah, no, he was a rich kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's astronomically rich. But here's the cool thing. His grandfather, Michael O'Rahili, I don't know why I said it like that, was an important... you making it sound like Middle Eastern. I know. <laughs> or like I'm sneezing. <laughs> he was an important figure in the quest for independence of Ireland, a leader of the Easter Rising, who died in the fighting in Dublin in April 1916. Oh, well, that's actually fucking hella cool. Like, that's, right? that's super important shit right there. So... I don't think he was one of the people who were actually executed after the fighting was over, but it sounds like he was one of the leaders of it. Or possibly died during it. Yeah, that's what it kind of sounds like. So the Easter Rising, also known as the Easter Rebellion, was kind of like a armed insurrection in Ireland during Easter week in April 1916. So it does kind of sound like he died in the fighting. It was launched by Irish Republicans against British rule. You know, what they've basically been fighting against since the existence of yeah. Ireland. Yeah, exactly. And they wanted independence, and they did this while the United Kingdom was fighting the First World War. And oh, this, so, so they did it during the First World War? Yeah. Yeah, and well, so I mean, this, that's a good time to, you know. Yeah, it, well, exactly. This was the most significant rising in Ireland since the rebellion of 1798. Oh, so that was almost like, almost, a, what, 110, 120 years? Yeah. And so, I mean, like I said, though, there was executions in May 1916 for the people who helped lead this. And 
16 people were actually executed for this. So, I mean, it was a big fucking deal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I believe the Irish have a history of rebelling. <laughs> I think there's a... Oh, no, never mind. That's uh, that's about the Scots. Oh, my God. Were you just about to mention Braveheart? <laughs> I was. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to piss the Scottish off and the Irish? I know. Hey, guys, I'm on your side. I'll make fun of the British with you, but uh, just... Remember, Ian apparently is doesn't even know the difference between Scottish people and Irish people. I almost didn't know the difference. I remember <laughs> just a little late. He remembered moments before he spoke that there was a difference between Irish and Scottish. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. I get it. The Scots wear kilts, and they both have different bagpipes. The difference is <laughs> in there. I'm pretty sure the Irish have some sort of traditional skirt kilt thing, too. I'm not really sure if I'm being honest. <laughs> And don't they speak Gaelic over there, too? (laughs) Or is that now a dead language? Oh, Ian, this is not that much of a history podcast. Uh, (laughs) Let's let's skip over that portion. I don't want to explain the history of Gaul to you right now. Well, and so I'll skip over Ronan's most of his life. Like, let's get to the important part. (laughs) So what you're saying is he wasn't very interesting. No, not really. You know, he went to college, did rich kid party shit, you know, lied about some stuff that he owned that he didn't that you know helped him get further along in his life to own some businesses you know no big deal oh so he pretty much he lied about like intellectual property uh he lied about helping certain bands and you know managing certain bands and stuff like that uh it made some false claims yeah oh okay but in late 1963 he would meet a man named alan crawford which is probably the first easy name that I've come across. <laughs> Ian's like, thank you. He needs a guy with a normal name. <laughs> and so this guy was a London-based Australian music publisher who, along with Oliver Schmedley, <laughs> I love that name, <laughs> he was a liberal party grandee and a free market evangelist. They were determined to take on the BBC, and the war is on. Oh, no. Don't take on the BBC. (laughs) And they would notice that the growth of pirate radio stations in northern Europe, they purchased Mi Amigo, a former fishing boat, to serve as Radio Atlanta, and invited Ronan to invest. I really wanted to say his last name there, but I just don't think I can do it anymore. (laughs) You're just going to keep butchering it anyways. I know. I probably haven't said it right once yet. This oh, podcast. no. So, some, some Irish guy is going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? It's not hard. It's just, it's just, yeah, ta, 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 ta. oh, really? Oh. <laughs> Do that in an Irish accent for me. I can't. I'm not good at <laughs> I know. Irish accents. I was really disappointed we have to not- read that an Irish guy, uh, like, really helped start this because I was like, I can't do an Irish accent. Yep, nope. I don't. I haven't had enough beers. See, the the issue <laughs> is I have to have a lot of beers to do an Irish accent. But if I have a lot of beers, I can't do this podcast. So. <laughs> Isn't the trick to just think you're a leprechaun? Oh my god! <laughs> fuck. I mean, I'm the size of a the leprechaun. The IRA is going to blow you up. Yeah, you might be true there. <laughs> <laughs> but Ronan decided to set up his own station. He'd secure two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Purchase a defunct ferry moored in Rotterdam, and he'd call this boat Caroline, and sold it to Grenoble to be refitted for broadcasting. He sold it to him. He sailed it. Oh, sailed, sailed it. That actually makes way more sense. I thought you said he sold it to him, and I was like, Ian, come on, <laughs> we're we're in front of a whole bunch of people here. We're not in front of them, all right, just in their ears. 
And so he'd say that the inspiration for the name was seeing a picture of President John F. Kennedy's daughter, Caroline, on the cover of Life magazine. Wait, so it was JFK's daughter that inspired Radio Caroline? Well, some of his friends said that it came from his girlfriend, Caroline Maudling, who wrote a traveling teenager column in Daily Mail and was the daughter of the conservative chancellor of the Eschquer, <laughs> E-X-C-H-E-Q-U-E-R. Yeah, I got no fucking idea, dude. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. I, I'm going I'm to let them be mad at you instead. <laughs> I really wish you British people would speak English. <laughs> Or Ex- Esquire. Esquire. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's so confusing. Exeter. <laughs> that CH threw me off really bad. <laughs> and so the Caroline would drop anchor outside territorial waters, which was three miles out, by the way. I think I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So if it was three miles out in British law, they couldn't do anything about it. So, <laughs> yeah, so they were just like three, like 3.1 miles out, like, <laughs> bitch. Yeah, which, isn't that what's considered, like, what each country owns of the coastline? Yeah, international and, waters. Yeah, and I don't remember if this is true or not, but I feel like I heard this somewhere where the three miles was, they came up with that because isn't that how far a cannon would shoot at the time? If there was a cannon that shot three miles, I'd be fairly impressed, but no, I don't, I don't think so. I think three miles is near what your sight line is. Okay. Okay. But, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. That's just my. That's just me drawing. So as back long as you could see land, you owned it essentially. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Don't, well, don't make me confirm that. <laughs> Come on, man. I don't know. That's that was just like. And I'm so pretty... today, and dude, check out this history. <laughs> <laughs> dude, check out this history. Ian makes Pat lie to the whole world. No, I. So I, I believe two and a half miles is your view distance. If like as it like naked eye okay but don't quote me on that because i could be very wrong i'm totally quoting you god damn it i'm i said it first i'm you called, heard it from him nope hey irish people i give you permission to beat up ian now <laughs> just, don't, just don't blow him up i still need him for a while but whatever else i don't mind just don't punch the good talking parts of me because i do need to talk to <laughs> yeah not your pretty face it's your money maker <laughs> No, they can punch my eye, but I need my <laughs> lips, okay? Don't punch my throat or my lungs. Yes, you heard it first here, Irish people. Don't punch Ian's lungs. Hey, <laughs> just trying to protect myself, okay? The podcast. Okay, we are, we're having way too much fun with this pirate radio <laughs> shit. Uh, it's because there's no do check out the songs. We feel loopy without like having this like anchor I, where we keep coming back like, hey, dudes, check out this song. Right, that is true. There is no anchor for that. I feel like we're, we're floating Ironically, away. as we're talking about literal dudes on ships <laughs> dropping anchors yes. so they can make radio. So please drop the anchor to the next section of this. And so, <laughs> what I was trying to say before we got way off topic, the Caroline would drop anchor outside territorial waters off of Essex Coast and began broadcasting as Radio Caroline on March 28, 1964. Hell yeah. The first British pirate radio station. Fuck yeah. Oh man, you know they were playing some fucking like freewheeling Bob Dylan right there. You know, the that super early uh, folk Bob Dylan that, that, I'm sure that made the cut. Oh, my God. Well, you had to have had, or it had to have, because this is where, within the next year, like, 
a lot of the uh, popular bands like the Beatles and stuff would start to draw their inspiration from. If it wasn't played on BBC, it had to have been played on these guys, right? I didn't see anything about Dylan, but I did see a lot about like the British bands they were playing because it seemed like a way for like a lot of British bands to get airplay because they were huge in America at the time. Yeah. So it kind of seems like I'm sure it was. I'm sure Dylan was played, but just from what I was reading. They just mentioned British bands. So. Oh, of course they did, because it's a UK but, pirate radio. It's not. It's not UK pirating American radio. <laughs> what leads me to believe that they would have had to play Dylan is because they would end up, and I'll talk about this later. But they they ended up like taking like the US top forty hits. So you know Dylan was in there at some point. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so one of the first DJs on Radio Caroline was Tony Blackburn. Another easy name to say. And his only experience of broadcasting was limited to his love of Radio Luxembourg and basically just the hits that he could occasionally pick up from within the UK. He would apply after seeing a small advertisement in the New Musical Express, the country's definitive music magazine, and was invited to come aboard. Oh, Abor- yeah. Aboard me to ye. We're going to get these scallywags, play some of this music, this rock and roll music. Yes, come aboard, laddie. <laughs> we really did need a pirate joke in there though <laughs> i mean it is literal pirate radio i know i know <laughs> I, I get it it's because pirates they're pirating the radio yar har har on boats though they're uh, doing it on boats <laughs> uh, i've not seen ian so excited for an episode in so long <laughs> but boats guys boats <laughs> And so being free from British authorities meant also being free from the record companies and the artist's rights to restrictions. So they could play anything they wanted. Like I said, they'd steal from the American Top 40 all the time, playing the biggest hits from the U.S. And Blackburn would say, I remember hearing Tom Jones, It's Not Unusual for the first time, and thinking that was terrific. It's not unusual. To be loved by anyone. <laughs> that was probably the first pirate radio hit. <laughs> End of quote right there. <laughs> so you heard it first. Oh my <laughs> god, that is so amazing. Could you? Because you think of pirate radio, you think it's some like underground shit. Like, because with the modern perspective, I think you know pirate radio. I either think like punk. I think like metal. Or I think like electronic music. Those, you know, those three main like those undergrounds. But no, but, the BBC didn't want any of them to be influenced by Tom Jones. Could you imagine? Be like, oh, I'm illegally listening to the same thing that Carlton <laughs> would dance to on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and the whitest white guy dance ever. It ain't unusual to be loved by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> who, I feel sorry, and I don't mean this in a negative way for anybody who actually is in this situation, but I feel sorry for anyone in that year who is like, I'm such a badass by listening to this song. <laughs> like, I'm listening to UK pirate radio. This is from America. <laughs> like, I don't know. You just got to think, though, their music was so controlled. Just anything that they'd never heard before would probably just fucking blow your mind. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a pretty sweet jam. I really do enjoy that jam. Like, I will dance to it if it comes on. But and you'll snap to it, too, which you never do. Oh, I snap all the time. I'm a, I'm a snapper. You whippersnapper, you. <laughs> I'm a snippy snapper. 
Well, they would go on to, you know, play the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Who, the Kinks. You know, all this stuff would come on, you know, just basically whatever they wanted to play. They had, they had no rules. Yeah, unrestricted means unrestricted. And so one month after Radio Caroline would come along, Radio Atlanta started broadcasting too. Radio Atlanta? Yeah, that's the one that was started on the Mi Amigo. Oh, okay. That he was okay. originally offered to do, but he kind of undercut them oh. and started it first. Okay, yes. Yeah, I'm following now. On July 2nd, both of these uh, pirate radio stations, excuse me, both of these pirate radio stations Yarr. Arr, <laughs> agreed to a merger. <laughs> oh, so Atlantica and... Uh, Atlantic. Oh, Atlantic. Yeah, and Radio Caroline decided mm-hmm. to merge together. Oh, okay. Like, so they, they started both putting the same broadcast out? Like, it seems like that w- that's what they would do, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, we'll get to that. And there's a little conspiracy around it. Some observers have suggested that this rapid merger marks the stations as being jointly funded by the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Whoopsie. That that sounds a little Alex Jonesy, right? Like, uh, yeah. hey, hey, guys, you know, the, those radio stations you're listening to, they're, they're funded by the CIA. Yeah, exactly. To that some- was a good Alex Jones impersonation. That was a pretty damn good Alex Jones. <laughs> I think you got a little sweatier while you were doing it, too. I think so. It's warm in here, though. Yeah, I know. It's it's winter. I don't like it cold during winter. I like it cool during summer and warm during winter. Yeah, weirdo. And so Ronan would end up sailing to the anchorage off the Isle of Man and broadcasting as Radio Caroline North, while the Mi Amigo stayed in Thames Estuary, now broadcasting as Radio Carolina South. This was the first time since the pre-war days that a commercial broadcaster could claim to be offering a national radio service. Oh, shit. That's fucking awesome. So they were they were definitely uh, sending the same uh broadcast then yeah i would think so because that would only it's only a national broadcast if you send the same broadcast to the whole nation right they might have had some different programming you know at times because i mean think of like fox you know fox has all their little local syndicates and stuff like that so yeah no so either way they were just they were more congruent or cooperative i guess yeah and then they'd have their radio version of the simpsons and we're all good (laughs) god damn it Hurry up, Ian. Move forward. I got jokes for days. <laughs> yeah, I know that's the issue. <laughs> and so within a year, the network was, you know, turning a modest profit. Like, you know, they because they would sell advertising space and, you know, start getting de- uh, debated in Parliament. This was being listened to by hundreds of thousands of teenagers and inspiring other pirate stations. Most notably, Radio London and Radio Such, a Screaming Lord Such publicity stunt. (laughs) (laughs) Screaming Lord Such, man. (laughs) This dude is all over the place. He just loved, he he just seemed to love to fuck with the British government. I don't know why. Yep, no, I love it. You know, anybody who wants to fuck with the government in that way, you know, gets a nod from me. And of course, there were no ratings. You could you couldn't figure out exactly how many people were listening to it. The only way they could even gauge the station's popularity was by the fans' direct reactions. Um, listeners would end up sending like bags full of mail every day, and some even rode on tourist boats to pull up at the side of the boat and throw gifts on the deck. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. 
And so Blackburn remembers telling listeners he would be giving out Radio Caroline's obsolete vinyls from his little red sports car when he got off ship in the port off of Harwick the next day. He'd say, it took me about an hour and a half to get out of town. Just hundreds of people lining the streets. They didn't know what I looked like, but they heard about the car. (laughs) That's awesome. Little red sports car. Yeah, so these DJs were kind of, you know, becoming celebrities. You know, minor celebrities in their own right, though, too. Dude, a mile of people lined up on a street is not a minor celebrity. Like, that's that's pretty big celebrity. And not all the DJs were British. And even though this guy's American, he's got a terrible last name. Mike Pasternak, a Californian better known on the airwaves as Emperor Roscoe, way better name, still wears a black baseball cap adorned with a white skull and crossbones. He'd say... I saw a floating hunk of rust <laughs> when he was talking about the first time he saw the Mi Amigo. <laughs> nice. And Mike or Roscoe, Emperor Roscoe, I like that name. That's a great radio name, right? Emperor Roscoe. Yeah, it is a fantastic name. He had already worked on the radio for two years before Caroline for the military onboard aircraft carrier in the South China Sea. And he'd say, the poor British guys had the love of it, but they didn't have the technique. Oh, shit. You know, they were winging it. Nobody knew what to do. This is new technology. For yeah, them. pretty it's much. It's like our first episode. Mm-hmm. So, but he came in and laid them out? Well, he'd come in and help, definitely. Yeah. And Tony Ben, the postmaster general between 1964 and 1966, responsible for the administration of broadcasting in the UK, he'd say... The case for having popular music available because they, young people, wanted it, and why not? (laughs) Well, the upper echelons of the BBC really didn't like that. The BBC's chairman, Lord Norman (laughs) Brook, which, like, how British is that? Lord, He's got Lord before his name. Lord Norman Brook. Lord Norman Brook. He was reported to have said, you can't have popular music all the time. It would be like having the pubs open all day. (laughs) <laughs> what? So he literally related listening to the radio as drinking. What? That's not the same thing at all. <laughs> Popular music just means music people want to listen to. Yeah, a lot of people listen to the radio while they're doing yard work. <laughs> no, don't get drunk while you do yard work, Ian. Come on. Oh, I totally get drunk while I'm mowing the lawn, okay? Oh, I know you do. That's why I'm telling you. Lord Norman Brook would be very upset with you. Yeah, well... You know, British sensibilities. He's probably right. He's probably not around anymore, if we're being honest. Probably not. He was probably an old dude back in that day. So, And so there was actually a fictional movie based upon these events that was released in 2009 called The Boat That Rocked. (laughs) And I think um, the American version was actually just named Pirate Radio, but it would have uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Emperor Roscoe. That sounds cool. Yeah, I definitely need to watch this after we're done recording. I I wish we would have watched this movie before. That sounds awesome. And Blackburn would say about the depiction of them in this film, we were allowed two beers a day. If you've got people drunk and staggering all over the place full of drugs and beer, you know it's dangerous. If you fell over to the side, you'd drown. Never survive it. Damn. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like the party, I guess, that was depicted in the movie. Oh, so like in the movie they predict our depicted that they were doing a bunch of drugs and drinking a bunch on the boat yep yep you know they were basically rock stars at the time because they were doing shit that was 
technically legal, but, you know, the British, you know, I guess you could say old folk, you know, did not like. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I really hate those vision or those versions of like, you know, actual events where they make it like super extreme. Like it was already cool enough. You didn't have to make it pretend like they were all fucking idiots doing a bunch of drugs and getting hammered on a boat. Like, yeah, they definitely Hollywooded it up for sure. But like, I don't know. It, the fact that they like that they kept it together and you know, two beers a day, you know what I mean? Like had a regiment, like had everything together. Like that's way cooler to me than oh my god, they were all super drunk, fucking drug addict, crazy people. Like yeah, well, and like what a lot of this season is about. There's a lot of like punk rock attitude going on. You know, before there was punk rock. This is punk rock attitude. Oh, they're for sure. sticking it to the man. Yeah, no, they're sticking it to the man and keeping their shit together, which is the real punk rock. Well, yeah, and to kind of go on how tame it was compared to the movie, their entertainment activities were limited to planning the show, watching TV, sunbathing, and playing cards. So it was <laughs> not like a wild party. Yeah, they weren't getting all fucking crazy. Yeah, and like I would mention, they'd have tourist boats that would bring people out. You know, like alongside the Mi Amigo, and sometimes the women would come aboard for a cup of tea. A cup of tea. Yeah, because they weren't partying. They were just trying to play music that the BBC wouldn't let them play. Damn, that's that's some pirate shit. We let the ladies come over for a cup of tea. Are you ladies want to come over for a cup of tea? <laughs> yes. You look mighty parched down there on your tourist boat. Might I offer you aboard my rusty skiff for a spot of tea? And even though the fans love pirate radio, like I mentioned, the record companies really didn't like did not. It. No, yeah. they didn't get any royalties from this. Yeah, well, I mean, because that, there was no like system of government to ensure that they paid the proper rights to them. Well, I mean, let's be honest. They weren't getting any royalties before because these songs weren't getting any plays. So I guess it. that's true. That's actually a fair point. I didn't think about that. But now these songs are getting listened to and they're Still like, wait, 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 getting any bucks. Doesn't somebody owe us some money? I mean, that comes back to like the digital age now where, you know, bands are getting listened to without getting their, you know, their little tribute, I guess you could call it to themselves. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the, a lot of the free age access has definitely has hurt a lot of the smaller musicians and shit for that, for that reason. It definitely seems like nowadays you got to be backed by like a big record company, not because, you know, of distribution anymore, but because they have the finances to actually like get you going somewhere yeah exactly and so frank gillard was the bbc's director of sound broadcasting he decided to propose an introduction to a continuous popular music station to the bbc board of governors and he was informed if we had known mr gillard that you had such ideas in your head we should never have appointed you damn <laughs> wow <laughs> holy shit <laughs> It's like, okay, there's a demand for this. Let's fucking do this. And then they're like, nah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. No, excuse me, sir. I believe you might be fucking retarded. <laughs> what? They, they politely said, go fuck yourself. Yeah, what exactly. <laughs> and another big question for the BBC was, how can they feed a steady diet of music with their stations that they already got going on and still, you know, fall under the regulations of the UK? You know, I mean... I guess in a way there was something to think about, but it just kind of seems like there wasn't a whole lot of forward thinking there. Yeah. And 
even though these pirate stations were unlicensed and didn't observe copyright law, they were still important to commercial players promoting like popular music events and, you know, advertising opportunities. So, you know, that's how they would make their money. But then they'd be like, hey, you heard this band we played? Well, they're playing in whatever British city, you know? Yeah, the, the actual venue revenue ended up being a portion of it. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, now all of a sudden these venues have all these bands coming over from America and people have actually heard of the band now. So now they could actually, like, advertise, like, such and such American band, Bob Dylan is yeah. playing, you know, at this venue. Yeah, no, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Just the increase in, in like, exposure is probably a huge deal. And the debate would go on, and lawmakers would to debate whether to act or not, but there was one incident that kind of cemented it for him. During a heated dispute over a radio transmitter, a pirate station manager was shot dead by Oliver Schmedley, the political figure who helped start the Mi Amigo. Yeah. He was shot dead by him? Yeah, by by Schmedley. Wow. Yeah. Real pirates. Arr, he's trying to take our radio transmission. I'm going to shoot him dead. Well, that sounded... Southern, that would, didn't it? Yeah, that would, that, would, that started out kind kind of pirate, but then it yeah. went really south really I'm, fast. I'm losing it real quick on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Schmedley was actually later acquitted on the grounds of self-defense, but the scandal would end up forcing the government's hand. One politician named Hugh Jenkin would say, the extraordinary and tragic events of the past 24 hours have impressed on everyone that piracy is piracy. Oh, shit. So now I guess they're actual pirates. Yar. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> so that mean they're going to start like keel hauling them and stuff? No, what they did was they passed the Marine and Broadcasting Offenses Act, and they'll come into effect on August 14th, 1967, making it illegal for anybody to do business with or supply the ships from the UK. Oh, shit. Yeah, so think about that. All this advertising revenue, you know, these venues, like, you know. Made going, everybody we, illegal. Yeah, it made it illegal to deal with them. And, you know, that basically sunk the pirate radio stations. You know, a little pun there, I guess. Uh... But the BBC understood that at this point, 15 million listeners who tuned into these radio stations needed a place to go. And so they'd end up creating Radio 1. And... With this decision, they also decided to poach a lot of the best DJs from this area. And Blackburn had the honor of being the first voice on air and would actually credit the BBC with taking lessons from the pirate radio. He'd say they didn't try and do it their way. They said, look, these guys know how to do it. Let's bring them in. That was sensible. Hell yeah. That's something. Yeah. And so... To this day, Radio 1 still exists because of these guys who decided, you know what, they can't fucking tell us not to listen to music. That's fucking awesome. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and pirate radio would actually be a tradition throughout the UK, even up to this day. There's still pirate radio stations there, so... So it's almost like a, I don't know, like a, like a meme within their community now, it really is. Yeah, something like that, and I guess there's a lot of stuff that happened in like the 80s and 90s, but... I was really focused on this era, so I don't really know anything about what happened in those eras. So, like I said, we got to do a saga, man. That maybe this is where the saga comes from. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna come back to this at like a UK UK pirate radio for the seventies next time, and then we'll just do each like decade forward and see if we can't uh, keep the saga going. 
we're obviously we haven't researched anything further, so we don't can't make any full claims as there might not be as much information as there was here, but there might be. There could be something. There was definitely some information out there, but I was very focused on this era. So we'll see how much information we can find. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, at least it's a happy ending to the story, man. Like they all like, get yay, they actually get radio with music on. Yeah, yeah, BBC's like, okay, guys, fine. Come over and play music people actually want to listen to. Fine. <sighs> so I think it's time for last thoughts. What do you think? I mean, I definitely think so. Go first. Well, honestly, I mentioned this before. This is probably one of the most punk rock things you could do at the time. And even though it was done by a rich guy, which, you know, doesn't bode well for the whole punk rock name, at the same time, they were sticking it to the man. They were getting things out there that people desperately wanted to listen to. And, you know, they really just changed the way the whole broadcasting system works in the BBC. What's more punk rock than that than just going, these people need this and we're going to do it no matter the legality. Yeah. And so, you know, that's my final thoughts really is it's just like without these radio stations coming out, who knows where music would have gone in the UK because they really didn't have access to really even their own bands. So, I mean, there could have been some stale ass music coming out of Britain. Instead, we got like Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. I mean, we got some fresh ass shit in the 70s, you know, and I think it's directly influenced by this. No, I actually completely agree with that because, I mean, if you really think about it, it's almost like that second or that second, you know, European wave that we always talk about where everyone gets to go be famous in Europe, you know, 20 years after they're famous. A lot of it actually has to do with this like dissidence where BBC wouldn't let anybody listen to anything. And then they had to kind of like essentially have their own little social revolt to make it happen. It's so interesting. Like it is very, very interesting. Yeah, it's like a revolution, but there's no violence. But And they were just like, look, the people need this. So if it has to be government regulated, you must provide. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's really the way it feels at the end is I feel like, you know, a lot of ways the government finally actually listened. And it's unfortunate that it had to be in something so simple as pop music. You know what I mean? Right. So it sounds like the UK actually has their own private stations now. So you can actually play whatever you want now. But, you know, it seemed like it took one desperate act just to get music on the air you know, maybe we'll find in like the 80s and 90s when we do that research that it took that act to get private radio stations, you know? Yeah, no, I could absolutely see that. So, I mean, there's not really too much I can do for my final thoughts. So I'm just going to do this. Tyranny bad. Like, don't... <laughs> if, if I was hoping you were going to get to this. I really <laughs> wanted to leave that open for you. There is absolutely no precedence in the whole fucking world that you need to be telling people what they need to listen to or not. And I get that, you know, this is a, a whole different era and we lived in a, in a different generation coming out of a secondary, even more different generation. And you also got to understand this is a different country. And even though the U.S. was regulated, it definitely was not as hev heavily regulated as the U.K. was. Yeah, nor, nor ever has it been as regulated as the U.K. is. And I mean, you know, we've like I, I made jokes about secret police and stuff earlier. And, you know, I'm not I'm never trying on this show to get too too political or anything like that. So I'm not going to do that. But. The, the reality is, as far as music goes, there is, the reality is, as far as music goes, there's this certain level of anti-authoritarianism that's always been attached to it. 
it was never the kings or the dukes or the the big uh, you know historical figures that were the musicians it was always the lower people that were brought in front of them to play well right in fact musicians and like actors were considered some they, of the lowest level people back in like the 1600s yeah depending on cultures anywhere in the world there's you know a varying level of uh, understanding for them but in general there is very few that they would consider at the top that were also you know artists and musicians in this way so there's always been this lower class tinge to music and art and uh, with with the exception of certain uh, primary classical arts well the imagery of the jester kind of comes to me at this point you know because the jester is kind of a joke but that's you know what the upper echelon you know looked as them as you know they were this jokester this jester this guy who played music and yeah and, and to follow that allegory in this case the jester instead of performing in front of the king went out in the square and performed for all the poor people and that was not okay with the government and you know what i fucking applaud you all for that because that's just such a even though the fact you didn't break any laws you didn't it was no like viva revolution bullshit well you, technically they found a way to get around the law and then once the British government caught up to that. They were like, oh, shit, we got to change this. Yeah, exactly. And it's one po- one or it's one case where I honestly think that the government responded pretty appropriately. They didn't hold it out for a long ass time. You know what I mean? Like when they saw the light, they saw the light. They passed the law to make it illegal and then just brought everybody in the fold. So it, nothing was lost. They just made it legal. They did it in a way to cover their own skin, though. Yeah, because I mean. It, dev- it never stopped, but they made it so that you couldn't make a profit off of essentially, you know, stealing other artists' work. So, I mean... Which that's, is never acceptable. No, and, that, and that's the one part that gets to me where it's like, this is pretty awesome, but at the same time, you know... They, they were stealing. Were, they were stealing uh, other artists' work to make a profit. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the really important lesson here is to always support artists in whatever they do. And if you were thinking about maybe wanting to support us, uh, you could always just give us some stars on social media stuff. You could rank us up on whatever podcast site you're listening to. Or you could check us out on Spotify, you know, listen to all the songs we talked about. I know we didn't talk about any songs in this episode, but you know what? This is the exception to the rule. Yeah, every other episode has a whole playlist of stuff on Spotify for you to listen to. Uh, we don't run any ads or anything. We don't ask for anything. We're just out here doing the, uh, or doing it for the love of it. The only thing we ask is that you can spread the word. We want to talk to more people. We want to talk music to everybody who wants to listen. So we love you. And You know, honestly, I made those uk and irish jokes but i really do love you guys oh it, he's it's all good it's all in he's good scared. fun it's all in good fun oh okay? my you guys have him sweating <laughs> ian is literally sweating over here yeah, i'm only sweating because it's fucking hot in here <laughs> <laughs> but seriously everybody you guys rock uh we made some jokes about the uk but we actually really uh really appreciate everybody i mean there's there's nobody who makes music who we don't love here dude check out this song so have a good night uh, yeah